1: Thing. I just want people to know that however far down the scale you find yourself or you have gone, I guarantee if you apply it and you put 100% in, not 90, not 95%, you have to put 100% in. But if you do that, you can get the gifts and the promises that you hear so much about in these early meetings of, of recovery. You know what I mean? That stuff can happen. Because for me, I, I, I had no one. Like I said, my possessions were gone. All my loved ones, family, friends were gone. No roof, no roof over my head. No, had nothing. I mean, everything was gone. I was a guy. I had everything, and then I had nothing. And I, I mean, I had, to, I had to really work at it, though. I had to really put in hundred percent.
2: Matt is here one day after getting married. <laughs> Congratulations!
1: <laughs> Thank to... you so much. Yeah, yeah, it was a big day yesterday.
2: That's so great. So um, tell us a little bit about that experience. You were just telling me about how your, your now wife is super supportive of what you're doing with your life right now.
1: Right. So we, uh, we actually, her and I, her name is Janet, and we just tied the knot yesterday in San Diego. Um, yesterday morning, we, um, our plans got uh, kind of thrown off due to the coronavirus Uh, We were supposed to go out to the East Coast. That's where I'm from originally, Connecticut. Um, But that didn't happen. So we did a courthouse wedding yesterday um, at a place called the Marriage Hut, which is a converted snack shack in downtown San Diego. Um, And we got all ready to go. And we had our witness there and our photographer and, and everybody made it really as special as possible for us, which was awesome. Um, and it went really smooth, you know, um, it, it, it was, it, we just, we had to, um, we had to adapt to the situation we were given and we did that and we had a great day, you know, and then now I'm currently in a hotel room in Las Vegas doing the podcast because <laughs> we drove her family Her family is actually from some of her families from Las Vegas. So we came up here and, um just to get a little break and see them. And so it was a big day between wedding and driving six hours to Vegas
2: afterward. <laughs> uh, I can imagine. Well, right. for the listeners. Okay. So you, this is Matt we're with today and <clears throat> he's from a recovered life. Is that correct? On a, life for, a life
1: recovered on Instagram. I'm sorry.
2: Okay. A life recovered. It's all one word on, on Instagram. Okay. And yeah. Check it out. yeah and I'm, I was really drawn to Matt um, with his enthusiasm for recovery. I sure him enthusiastic myself. So when I, when I can find other people just as excited about sobriety as me, I, I love to have them on my podcast. So Matt, thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, yeah, so if we can get right down to it, one, let's, um, hear a little bit about your story before you found sobriety, like the, what led up to day one for you?
1: Okay. So, um, you, you know, and first I do want to say that a lot of people question, you know, why is the day day after he's getting married, why is he doing a podcast? You know, why is he not with, well, without my sobriety, I want people to know that without my sobriety and without um, this on the forefront of my mind at all times, I don't get to have um, a wife. I don't get to have, um, you know, these, these trips and these moments and, and these things. So, Um, that's why I'm doing this and I want to share my story. It's, it's important that that gets out there. Um, so thank you for having me on here. I do want to say thank you. Um, so I'm originally, yeah, so I'm originally from Connecticut. Like I said, uh, you know, I grew up out there. I was, I'm 32 years old. I was born in 88. And, um, you know, I, I, had, I had a very normal, um, very normal childhood. I had a great childhood. You know, I'm not one of those individuals that can think like, oh, you know, I, I really had a traumatic experience or I had this happen to me, which could have led to my addictions or my, you know, I, I can't really, I couldn't really pinpoint anything that, that happened to me early on, which led me to, um, you know, that, that bottomless pit that I found myself in a couple years ago. Um, it was really my, my own, um, not paying attention to the signs and, and all the things that happened and poor decision-making along the way that got me to where, where my addictions took me. But, um, you know, I, I was adopted, um, but I, I grew up in a great family. I have a brother and a sister. Um, I'm 32. Like I said, my sister's 31 and my brother's 26. And, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I love the East coast. I I grew up in a nice house. Parents are still together. Um, I was very fortunate growing up, you know, and I was given every opportunity to succeed. Um, And I was just one of those guys that um, loved to, I was always the last guy at the party. I always loved to take a situation to the maximum, you know, when, when people put down their drink at 10 PM and they're ready to go home, I'm, I'm ready to go, you know, go find a bag of something and continue the evening. You know what I mean? Like there's no reason for us to put our drinks down at 10 PM. You know, we can find an excuse for work on Monday later on. You know what I mean? We don't need to prepare. We don't need to be worried about that, you know? And so people didn't understand that when you start drinking with me, you need to clear your schedule. You know, <laughs> you can't have plans in the next couple of days because things are, those things aren't going to happen anymore. You know and and people started to realize that later on um, but you know I, I started I started you know I had a very normal entrance into intoxicants um, I started smoking weed and and drinking a little bit you know at, at parties and at 15 16 17 um, obviously underage for drinking but you know it, it wasn't crazy um, it was a little bit in high school and, and things like that and um, where it really took off was when I went to a boarding school. I repeated my junior year in high school and I went to a prep school in New York. And I was there for two years. And that's where I got introduced to, um, you know, I mean, various things, more pills, ketamine. I mean, a a lot of really scattered, um, you know, drugs. There was a lot of drinking. Um, I mean, we were there 24-7 and Um, That was uh, a temporary escape in an all boys boarding school setting where you couldn't really go anywhere else, you know. Um, And the school was actually very, um, it actually was very good for me. I'm one of those individuals that uh, thrives and, and works best in a very structured setting. So in that sense, it was ideal for me. Um, I was able to raise my GPA and I was able to meet my goals. So the whole point of me going to that school was so I could hopefully get into a better college because I was just I was just cruising and I was stagnant in my public high school. Um, so I had that opportunity and I ended up going to the University of Rhode Island um, after that, and I I got there in two thousand and seven at the University of Rhode Island and I was I was kicked out of that school by two thousand and nine. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you know, so I I got I got because um, I, I when I left that structured setting that I was doing so well in and I was thrown into college where you have to you have to be a, you know, you have to be on time to class and, and you have to set your own alarm, you know, there's no one gonna come around knock on doors to making sure you're there, you know. And, and I didn't have that. And I I guess in that sense, I got kind of, I was kind of babied at school. And then I went to this setting and it was just, I could party all the time. I could drink all the time. And I didn't have to abide by any rules. And if I could drop a class, <laughs> that became my new thing. Oh, well, that's a little bit too much. Oh, I have to do homework four times a week. No, no, no. That's we're not doing that, you know? (laughs) So I started just, my class load was just decreasing and my partying was increasing, you know? And that's when, um, there was no balance, you know? And like I said, you know, always the last guy at the party, always taking things to the extreme, you know? Um, and it just, it really took off from there, you know, after, after I left college, um, I came back home and was working kind of odd jobs and figuring out what to do. And my drug use was picking up now, you know, I was using cocaine a lot more and things like that. And I was doing a lot of drinking and, you know, eventually it got to the point where my family said, okay, dude, you just got kicked out of college. You know, you're here, you know, working at, you know, these small jobs that you can't even you can't even stay at, you know, because you're showing up late or trying to leave early, you know.
2: Now, are Um, they aware of the fact that you're, you're heavily involved in, in um, alcohol and drugs? at this yes. point. Oh like yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, oh they they've been my family has been no stranger to they they know everything, you know. And I actually okay. I just got off the phone with them. <laughs> uh, and they they even know that I'm doing this right now, you know. And they're they're very happy where I'm at now because they know how difficult and how awful it was for a long time.
2: Okay. <clears throat>
1: um but yeah, I mean they 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 knew I had they knew I had trouble, you know. Um they just didn't know. They figured it was just a phase. Okay. But after you know, after fifteen years, we realized it might not be a phase anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> you know? This might not be a phase. So, right. um, so yeah. What was I saying? So I, where
2: was I. You were talking about how you were you couldn't hold down the odd jobs, even just the odd jobs. Mm, after that's After right. you were kicked out.
1: So okay. So I knew that I worked best in a structured community and i knew that it wasn't working out living at home and and getting high and coming in you know at all hours of the morning so i said you know what let me try to join the military so i walked into the navy recruiting office and i of course you know i wanted to do the toughest program they had you know being an addict i always want to do the most challenging thing or push push my limits so i I actually said, you know what, I'm going to go into one of the special operations programs. So I started training um, for, uh, there's a few jobs in the military that are special operations and special warfare based. Um, There is air rescue, Navy diver, Navy explosive ordnance disposal. Um, which is like the guys you see in the movie The Hurt Locker. And then there's uh, a couple special warfare programs like SEAL and SWIC. And so I went, uh, I loved the water. I was a scuba diver um, since I was a kid. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go into the dive program. So eventually got into boot camp and made it through boot camp, um, which was very difficult being in that special program. You know, it was all those guys that were going for those. Um, those certain programs. And it it was difficult, but made it through. And then was in follow-on training after that in Great Lakes, Illinois. And of course, alcohol was reintroduced and I was eventually kicked out of that program and sent to regular fleet Navy, which was fine. Um, I ended up being in the Navy for seven years um, before my addictions caught up again. So I was first stationed in 2011, I was stationed in Japan for four years. Um, you know, I still have some things kind of pending with the military, so I won't get into too much of that. Um, but basically there was, a lot of, there was a lot of partying, there was a lot of late nights, you know, I was taught uh, work hard, play hard in the military. And I, um, I definitely played very hard, you know. <laughs> um, and when I eventually got back to San Diego, Um, after my, after four years in Japan, I got to San Diego and, uh, that's where it it got really bad. I got to San Diego in 2014, October. And, um, I was, you know, in another relationship at the time, which obviously I'm not going to get into, but, um, it was very, very toxic and it was, um, my drinking was just getting, more intense and more intense. I had a very relaxed schedule being on shore duty. So I was not on a ship. Um, And I I was basically working as a a jet mechanic um, for the F-18s. That's that's what I ended up doing for most of my career or my time in the Navy. Um, But I could, I I mean, I was getting out of work at two o'clock in the afternoon. And as soon as I would get out of work at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, it wasn't, go home and and spend time with uh, a significant other or it wasn't go do something productive or go work out. It was get down to ocean beach, go hit the bars, see who you can meet, you know, and it was just, it was a mess and it just, it progressed and progressed and progressed until, you know, I, I started, I started, you know, using drugs. Um, and I will, I won't get into too much of that. Like I said, but I eventually was, um, You know, I, my time was up in the military and it was, and it was time to move on if you can catch my drift. So, um, I found myself, uh, homeless after the military, I was bouncing around to sober living to sober living. And I had gotten heavily into drug use and drinking at this point. Um, and you know, I, I actually, in in that, um, right directly after leaving the military, I met my now wife. Um, And she met me at one of the worst times in my life at about age 30, where I was really, um, I was at that crossroads, you know, and for someone like me, you have to, it it took me to hit that rock bottom, that crossroads where I, I, I eventually needed to make a decision because I was either going to a commit to a life on the streets There's And that life on the streets, that has no family. There is no roof. There is no running water. There is no no nothing. There's no empathy. There's no sympathy. There's no love. There's no friendship. Or I was going to go try to give um, rehab another shot. You know, this is in early 2019 now. And, you know, cause I had been, I had been to a couple rehabs in the military. They, 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 tr- you know, they, they tried to help out and things like that. Um, but I didn't, I never, I didn't take it serious, you know? Um, and you know, I went to, went away to rehab in early 2019 and I've been sober ever since. And that was March 6th of 2019. So I'm coming up on a year and a half now. So that's pretty much the gist of everything. Obviously, there's a lot in between. Yeah. That's a lot of years, but that is the gist of kind of what happened with me.
2: So you got sober. It finally clicked for you uh, in rehab in early 2019,
1: would you say? Yep. I went to a rehab called the Lighthouse mm-hmm. in Anaheim, California. And, um, you know, people talk about. Uh, having that kind of burning bush moment or that aha moment or that experience. And I, I had a spiritual experience. I had a small experience and I, I didn't think that that was real. I didn't think not only, not only was that not real, but that will definitely not happen to a guy like me. (laughs) I, I, I am Matt Ward. I am, you know, addicted to meth and cocaine, and I am drinking a half gallon, a hundred proof a day, and I don't have spiritual experiences. I'm not spiritual. I'm not, I'm not Buddha. What is that? You know what I mean? Like that was so foreign to me. And then I had that experience at the lighthouse and it was just, it, it was a very small thing, but it was something that happened to me where, you know, just the, everything just happened at the right moment. And I said to myself, oh my God, I think if I, I think this is the turning point. I think if I put a hundred percent in this, this is where I need to be. And this is, this is the change. I think the change is right now. I think I'm making the turn. You know what I mean? Cause I had gone, I had gone so far down <laughs> the scale, you know, with just everything, my my health and losing people along the way and, and just burning bridges and um, I had nothing else. You know, I, I had, I had sold all of my possessions. I had, uh, I mean, I had nothing. I had nothing. My family had, they said, dude, we're done. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll, we'll love you from afar. If that, you know what I mean? They had given up, you know? Um, yeah. It's just crazy.
2: Well, that's, but, that's amazing. I love it. I love to hear about that, that spiritual experience I had had one as well, and um, I I do I know that we're both in the same program of recovery. This uh, podcast doesn't promote any um, uh, recovery program, so you're it's okay if you want to talk about it. If you don't, that's fine. Um, but you know, as a disclaimer, and I always put it out there that I we don't promote that we have, don't promote any any program, we just talk about what has worked for us and what continues to work for us. And um, just in the the hopes that we can help another alcoholic get sober and um, be able to get to a place where we can celebrate the hope and recovery, Um, which it seems like that you're in a place right now that since having that spiritual experience, would love to hear more about your journey now in uh, life of recovery. And it looks like you have some, some goals ahead of you in terms of sharing your story and helping other people um, through your Instagram account. So I would love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, any addict or alcoholic has tons of war stories and all these, all these crazy experiences and stuff like that. And we can go on about that for days, but the, the real kind of sort of meat and potatoes is what do you do now and how can we share what you do now to benefit other people? Because mm-hmm. the hardest part is making that turn and sticking with that new person that you that you think you know you think you might have found. You know what I mean? That was really hard for me because I, I, you know, I, I had I had gotten some sobriety before and I had a few days under my belt, but then it was like, oh my god! But I have to do this like long term like that's how do i do that how do i do that how do i i'm bored <laughs> you know like there's all these feelings and all these i mean there's so many emotions and feelings that come up when i when i think about that and and early sobriety and stuff like that but you know i i was a person that was i was introduced i mean in the military and and any time i went to a program or a detox i've been to i've been to four treatment centers i've been to like about six detoxes Um, you know, I've, I've done quite, I've done a few, I mean, not, not as many as other people I know, but I mean, I've done enough to have been around and most, I mean, some of them do offer smart recovery, um, which is a more cognitive based kind of a, a uh, you know, um, kind of a decision-making type of approach to recovery, um, but I, I worked well in um, Alcoholics Anonymous and the AA-based um, and Narcotics Anonymous-based recovery. That was what has worked for me. So I'm going to continue to do that, you know? Um, and then obviously on my Instagram account, A Life Recovered, I do, you know what, we do talk about that. Um, but obviously any program of recovery where you're able to achieve long-term sobriety and that's working for you, that's what you should be doing. You know, for me, Alcoholics Anonymous has worked thus far. So, you know, when I look at that, that's not something I want to change. So, um, you know, I do go to meetings. And and when I first got in the rooms, I I probably first went to my first, I think I went to my first AA meeting about four years ago. And I, first of all, I knew I was an alcoholic, (laughs) you know, and I knew, I mean, some people are like, oh, I don't know if I'm in the right place. No. I am fucked up, dude. (laughs)
2: Yeah, like, how long did you You know? know? Like, for me, I knew, like, probably, like, right off the bat that I liked drinking a lot more than everyone else. So, in a way, like, I I
1: knew. When I I first got to my, that first meeting was probably in, like, 2015, I want to say, or 2016, maybe. And, um, you know, I, 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 I was... I was told I had to go. Um, that was in my first treatment uh, when I was active duty. And, you know, I was told I had to go and I walked in there and, you know, I, I, I willingly went to treatment. You know, I, I knew that, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. I mean, if you look back, I mean, dude, wake up, look at your track record, look at your track record, you know. I had all these things that <laughs> I screwed up. And if if I look at why they were screwed up, every single time I talked to a police officer or every time I was in the head of administration or every time I was getting a slap on the wrist, alcohol or drugs was involved. Every single time. There was not one time when I was sober and making a poor decision. <laughs> not one time. It didn't happen. You know, I was under the influence and making bad decisions. And that... um And I, so when I look back at that, I said, you know, like I said earlier, this is not a phase anymore, dude. You are an alcoholic. You are a drug addict. Um, and we need to do something about this. So I was open and honest. I, at at my meetings, you know, um, when I first got there, I was very honest, you know, I, I'm Matt. I'm an alcoholic. This is kind of a little bit about me. And I am open to suggestions, folks, (laughs) because I am struggling, you know, and from when I first got in there, things still needed to get worse, you know, and and they did. Um, but I, I was one of those guys that just, I had to hit a rock bottom. I had to lose everything. Um, and it had to get extremely dark before it was able to get brighter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I love recovery. I I mean, obviously recovery is, it's challenging. I mean, I'm not challenged to stay sober right now. I'm challenged because I love in-person AA meetings. I love going into the rooms and seeing the same people and new people, um, and seeing what's going on with them, sharing our experience, strength, and hope in person, you know, um, the zoom meetings, obviously, you know, I mean, I, I do work full time, and I I work in the insurance industry, and I've been working at home since mid March, March 16th. It was a Monday, actually. That's when I started working from home in San Diego. Um, and so I've I've been at home for work, at home for my meetings. I mean, everything has been in the living room on the computer, just like we're doing right now. Except I'm not in San Diego, <laughs> but. Everything has been from home, you know, and it's, it's been working. But the reason I started A Life Recovered was because I saw a lot of people and A Life Recovered, my page on Instagram is not just about addiction or alcoholism. Um, It's about any struggle that an individual is going through. Someone else out there, maybe even your neighbor is going through the exact same struggle and i wanted people to see that so i decided i would kind of we already have these platforms at our fingertips you know what i mean and i why are we not you know i mean and and i realized after i made the page that there are so many other people doing this similar stuff and it's great i mean i look i connected with you you know, and look where we are right now. I'm in Vegas on a podcast sharing my story in hopes that someone else will identify with it and it will, you know, maybe help them make a change if they're struggling as well. So that was why I started it. And it it seems to be awesome, you know, and, um, in addition to starting that platform and, and helping people get their stories out there, like suicide and deaths in the family and all that stuff, all the mental health that comes along, um, with addiction and the mental health that people experience on their own without addiction you know all that stuff being brought to light and letting people know that hey lockdown is rough you know but we don't have to go backwards we don't have to take one step forward and two steps back or we don't have to just take two steps back we can continue moving forward even though we are locked in these four corners right now you know um so it was important for people uh, it's important for me to let people know that they are not alone and and we can do this together um you know i've had a lot of people reach out to me and and they want to be put in contact with a certain person from a certain story and that's that's amazing you know what i mean because that now it's not me anymore this is you guys you know what i mean this is this is you two this has nothing to do with matt Ward anymore this is this is the community you know and that's what is really cool about it this has nothing to you know because not everyone is gonna to relate to my story, you know. Not everyone is gonna to relate to your story. So that's why I want you and you to share your story so that person over there can get help, you know. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it.
2: Yeah. I think you and I are on similar missions here to um and I think there are so many of us, which is great, in the recovery um podcasting community, uh, social media community, and we don't compete with each other. Rather, we promote each other because there's that understanding that we love to be sober and we want to help other people. So if I see a podcast or somebody on Instagram that I think, um, is incredible and usually everyone i come across is amazing because they all have the same goals they just want to help other people so i love that i don't feel in competition with anybody that i i want to um share um the news about someone else who's out there who's like yourself who's trying to make connections and help other people connect with people who will be useful for them and getting to a place of recovery
1: right and then there's you know there's I remember sitting, sitting in the rooms of, of that, that last rehab, uh, to the lighthouse and just hearing all these stories and really, and being present, that was something that was very new for me, you know, and really listening to that person's story. And there was, you know, there's different things I can take away from each story. Some clicked and some, you know, I, I can't really identify with that, but thank you for sharing. You know what I mean? And that's, kind of how it is for your podcast and and for my page you know there's a little everybody can can take things from from different stories and, and different podcasts and different you know clips and stuff and it just hits everybody differently so um that's the whole that's the goal is to get as many people involved so you can get as many people to uh to recover you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's so. great. That's awesome. I, I'm so happy that you're sober and you, and that you're at a place where you're moving forward in your life and you have that second chance to, to live a really good life. And, um, while we're on the topic of feeling good about recovery <laughs> and my podcast is a podcast where we really focus on the gratitudes and cause I, it's, it's hard for me to not, feel grateful. Even in the situation with the coronavirus, I'm, you know, obviously it's very, very concerning what's going on in the world right now. And there are people dying and there are people who are struggling, you know, with work and the economy is just, but uh, every single day I live one day at a time, there's always something that I can find in my my world, you know with my my family, um, my friends, where I can find in my life in my recovery there's always something I can find that i 'm grateful for in the midst of all of this um, uncertainty that 's around us so <clears throat> i'm really glad that i we can do we can talk and have conversations with people who have this positive energy about living and and staying in in the gratitude about um, life and how to have that shift of mindset. Like you get that, totally. that spiritual experience is really important, you know, in terms of like sending out, I feel like more positive vibes out into the universe. <laughs> so right. what would you say? Like, let's hear about your gratitudes. like, what is your life? When you think about your life, <clears throat> you know, an active addiction compared to now, like what,
1: yep. tell me more well, about I- that. Okay. So <clears throat> I'll tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to say a little bit about Um, my rock bottom for me. So when I, excuse me, when I got out of the military in 2018, I was bouncing around sober living to sober living. um, And I was using meth, you know, my I was smoking, and then it went to injecting. And obviously, you know, I, I had started to lose my mind i i was in full meth induced psychosis i was drinking like i said about a half gallon 100 proof a day wherever i could get it i mean i was i was having seizures i was waking up in back alleys behind 7-elevens you know um after coming out of seizing and stuff like that i was just i mean i was it was really bad you know it was really ugly um you know, if, to anyone that listens to this that, that loves me and that knows me, you know, if, if you think it was bad, it was worse, you know, and I want you to know that, I, and, I, and I can share about this because I am in a better place now, but that wasn't that long ago. You know, that was not that long ago. That was early 2018. <laughs> it's mid to 2020 right now. I just got married yesterday and I am sober, you know, today um, talking about this and, and sharing this. That is a testament to what recovery and sobriety can do for an individual. And I just want you to know, Not, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything. I just want people to know that however far down the scale you find yourself or you have gone, I guarantee if you apply it and you put 100% in, not 90, not 95%, you have to put 100% in. But if you do that, you can get the gifts and the promises that you hear so much about in these early meetings of of recovery, you know what I mean. That stuff can happen because for me, I I, I had no one. Like I said, my possessions were gone. All my loved ones, family, friends were gone. No roof, no roof over my head. Had nothing. I mean, everything was gone. I was a guy. I had everything, and then I had nothing. And I. I mean, I had, to, I had to really work at it though. I had to really put in a hundred percent, you know, I, I went to rehab <clears throat> and then after rehab, I went to sober living and all this time I was with my fiance. She was, she stuck with me, you know, which is just amazing. I mean, she, like I said, her name is Janet and she is, uh, she comes from a, she's Cambodian and she comes from a, a, a Buddhist family. If I didn't have, if I didn't have a woman in my life that was not a Buddhist, I probably, she probably wouldn't have stuck around, <laughs> but, um, but she, she stuck with me, you know, while I went to sober living and I tried to do everything in order this time, you know, not just, Hey, let me go to rehab and then let me jump back into the way I was living. And hopefully everything, hopefully I just stay sober, you know, no, I need accountability. I need to be drug tested twice a week because I know, you know, if because if I don't do that, I might start getting in my head that oh maybe I can do this, maybe I can do that, you know, and and those I had to really, I had to hold myself accountable to, you know, just on on a 24 hour period, I had to constantly hold myself accountable um, to to be successful, and and I am so grateful that I that I did that. I'm I'm so grateful that I, I stuck with it and, and continued to put forth that maximum effort to be where I am now because I I didn't, I'm almost at a loss for words because of where I'm at in my life right now and only two years later. I mean, this is incredible, you know, and people need to know that not only can they, not only that they're capable of this, you know. These individuals, you're, you, you are, you know. Like I've said on A Life Recovered, not only are you worthy of love, but you are capable of loving yourself. And for me, I didn't, I didn't love myself. I didn't care about myself. You know, when I'm with random people and I'm using drugs and I'm staying up for days at a time, that is not me showing that I care about myself, or I care about my life, or I care about, you know, and it starts with the individual. Because until I learn to love myself or take care of myself, I can't give that to someone else. I can't, I can't love or take care of someone. If I don't have that for myself, how can I give you what I don't have myself? That's physically impossible. You know what I mean? So um, I'm grateful that I'm in a place where I can, I now love myself. I take care of myself and I'm able to give that to another person. And now my wife, you know, you know um, and that's, and that's, that's great. And another, another thing I'm grateful for is I'm grateful that my first response is to tell the truth now, you know what I mean? For many years, my first response was, okay, I have to manipulate, or I have to lie, or I have to justify, or I have to provide an excuse. My first response every single time now is to just tell the truth. You know what I mean? That saying, the truth will set you free. That's the most accurate shit I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> you know, I can just be honest and just be forthcoming, and I don't have to make excuses, manipulate, or justify. I mean, obviously not drinking and stuff like that, that helps because I don't have to make an excuse for why I I was late or why I did, you know, all these things. But just, it's just really just a very, um, I feel very free on a daily basis, you know, living in the truth, you know, it's really great.
2: That is definitely freedom, living in the truth. Mm-hmm. I I yeah. tell you, I've I've been where you're at the two years. You feel great, and then every year that goes by, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I can't feel any better. I can't feel more free. And you do, um, I I have. And um, so thank you so much. You've given such a great, you know, um, image of what it's like <laughs> to be out there in addiction, and then to get to a place of of willingness which it really seems like you have had and you continue to have i know for me i need to be willing every day to um do something that's outside of myself and to to do something and to ask um my higher power to show me how to be useful today um and stay out of ego and live into love live live um, without fear and um
1: stay teachable
2: <laughs> oh i absolutely remain right. open and we keep that heart <laughs> open and um i i say a lot you know like early recovery and early recovery the more sober time i get i feel like i, I have so much more to learn and it's just a beautiful it's such a beautiful experience and so i always <laughs> tell people who are new in the program whether any 12-step program or any program, you know, there, you're going to be, the suggestions are going to be made and it feel it's going to feel like you're writing with the opposite hand because it's just going to not going to feel like the way you were doing things before, but the way we were doing things before was really injuring ourselves and hurting other people as well. And now mm-hmm. we get the chance to learn a better way of life and to keep going in, in, um, in that um, uh, direction of, of, of free, of free life. So yeah. I- that, yeah so go ahead.
1: No, I I think one of the most, I mean, whatever program or whatever, whatever thing that you're doing, um, for recovery or trying to get away from active addiction, the only basic requirements I think is that you have to surrender and you have to take ownership for the things that have happened and the things that you have done. And, you know, I think that is a basic requirement for any program. You know, yeah. Yeah. no longer can we point the finger over there to the right. No longer can we point the finger over there to the left. You know, we have to look inward at ourself. Um, that is the basic requirement for any program. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I urge you, if anyone is listening to this, to, to, to take ownership and, and evaluate where you, where you are right now and, and where you want to go and then commit 100% to any program that you're looking at, you,
2: know. you answered the question I was going to ask. I was gonna. I was going to ask if if you can offer um, anyone. I'm thinking about um, you know a, a young man who's in a rehab right now who might be listening to this episode, um, who's or in detox for the fifteenth time or the fifth time or the first time or whatever, and or he's in rehab for the twentieth time. What what can you offer? Cause I know that you said that there was that, you know, that you had that spiritual experience. What, um, what was it that, uh, what do you think, um, you can offer the listener that's that was in that spot where, before you had that spiritual experience? Like what needs to have, what would you suggest that that person do in order to get to a place where they kind of you, like have that flip?
1: Yeah, totally. For me, for me, I, I, I'm always going to speak for me, (laughs) you know, in hopes that someone can relate to that. For me, I had to realize that Matt Ward might not always know what's best for Matt Ward. I might not have all the answers, but whatever room I'm in or whoever I'm listening to, there might be a, a man or a woman in there that might have better insight as to what I can do for myself. And only until I realized that I don't have all the answers, that's when the real growth started because I started listening to other people and I started listening to how they have been successful. And I started understanding and applying that to me. And that's when I started to be successful. I realized that I don't have all the answers anymore because my best thinking got me here. My best thinking and my best choices for the time got me alone in rehab in psychosis, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So my best thinking and my choices may not be the best. So <laughs> looking at that, let me let me go talk to someone. Let me go hear someone else out. How did you do this? What did you do in this situation, you know? Yeah. Listen and be able to take suggestions, you know? you don't have to, <clears throat> you don't have to follow it. You don't have to act on it, you know, but at least hear people out, hear what they've done and then, and then take it with a grain of salt and and see what might work for you. You know, like I had, I had to fully, that just goes back to the surrender and the taking ownership. You know what I mean? And, and it's just really important, you know, knowing that, um, someone else in that room, someone you've never met you know, someone that may not look like someone you'd normally approach, they might know what's better for you right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, they were where you're at and right. um, that, and that's the thing that that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And this has been such a great conversation. I know this conversation that we've had in your story that you shared is going to help so many people today. Do you have any closing thoughts that you want to share before we wrap it up?
1: No, I mean, I mean, that's really it. I just, you know, I, like I said in the beginning, um, my recovery and and sobriety, without that, I don't have any of these things, um, mm-hmm. any of these positive things that are happening. Those are not possible without me staying sober. Uh, yeah. And working my program to the best of my ability on a 24-hour period if I don't work at to the best of my ability on a 24-hour period If I don't wake up and talk to you and share my story like I said I was going to do if I don't do that then I start slipping yeah. You know, if I don't follow through and make good on the things that I say I'm gonna do then that's where we start falling backwards and that's where we get into that decline. So, um, yeah. you know, yeah
2: That's wonderful. Well, thank you. Yeah, and and thank your wife for uh, sharing you with <laughs> the sober community um, yeah. and for those who are trying to get sober, that community as well. And um, that, that um, her supporting you and you staying committed to your recovery and helping other people is, hel- is actually helping other people today and every day. So um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your Uh, honeymoon, I guess you're going to be having. Um, Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: I really appreciate
1: it. Yeah. We're here for a couple days and then going back to San Diego. I I have work Monday morning, so nothing crazy.
2: Yeah, that's great. Well, congratulations and congratulations on your sobriety, your recovery. And um, I wish all the best for you and your Instagram account, uh, a recovered life, a life recovered. recovered. Yes. I always mix it up. A life recovered. (laughs) That's okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. Great. Thank you.
2: Well, have a great day.
1: All right. Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to my guest and all of you for listening. I hope what you heard inspires you to look for and recognize the gifts of sobriety. Sober Gratitudes, a podcast dedicated to delivering messages of hope through true stories of recovery. A sober life is possible if you truly want it.